Today, we'll bring you the very first episode out of the Middle East. Today's entrepreneur is Ben Bolger, who's building Squirrel Education. With a background in wealth management, Ben is looking to democratize financial literacy for kids globally. It is a global problem, and they're starting out here in Abu Dhabi to fix it one step at a time. This is the first episode we'll bring you from another region, and I'm very excited that we'll be bringing you more stuff from this region, more good for profits, and eventually we'll be covering more and more good for profits globally. We did unfortunately have a slight technical issue with this episode, and so it will be audio only this time, but expect all the future episodes to be back to normal again. Without further ado, here's the wonderful conversation with Ben. We were talking about how you ended up out here in the first place. Yeah, so I actually came to Dubai, uh, probably what? 12 years ago now, um, I took my wife, to, or my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, um, took her just, I mean, for, for her 21st birthday. Um, and when we was out here, um, someone, like so one of our friends was actually living here and, um, and she basically told us, she said, oh, look, there's a, there's a pool party at your, uh, at your, uh, hotel this weekend. We're going to go. Do you, you, you want to come? And, uh, maybe even me being naive, but at the time, yeah. at the time I thought, um, I was like, why do they want to come to a pool party? I was thinking like, do you know, like club entertainers yeah, around, yeah, yeah. like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But we turned up and it was like this Ministry of Sound pool party. It was wild. Wow. Like, it was amazing. And so, so um, and it compl- I was like, where are we? This is unreal. So, um, basically, I went back to, to London. Yeah. And at 21 as well, I'd imagine, like, that's the kind of thing, you know, that just wows you. Yeah, away, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I hadn't yeah, seen yeah. anything like that before. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, uh, I, came back to London and, and my sort of contract to rugby was sort of was coming to an end and I was I was always wanting to sort of go into finance being from London a lot of my friends had moved into the, like going into the city and 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 working in you know trading or insurance or stuff mm. like that so um finance I, bros yeah um, <laughs> but I um I thought well instead of getting caught up maybe in the rat race of London if I'm going to do it let's let's try and maybe look at moving up to the Middle East mm. um now I just use the rugby to leverage to get out here um so just so you, you're a professional rugby player right just for people who are listening to this and, and don't know the background yeah um right. yeah i mean that's sort of all i ever wanted to do when i was younger wow. um did and was fortunate enough to do that for a number of years when i was young and um yeah just use that and basically sort of emailed the the top two rugby clubs at the time um look, i'll come out and play play rugby for you if you can find me a job in finance um incredible send my cv which incredible. didn't have much on it uh, I, think, I think they were much more interested in rugby yeah i think they were much more interested in the highlight reel of my rugby yeah. than they were in necessarily my cv but wow. unfortunately one of the one of the clubs got back to me and got me a job in wealth management and amazing yeah 12 years later i'm still here amazing wow so you never look back that was it. No, I mean it's 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 surreal. Like you have to I have to keep sort of pinching myself every now and again, like to think that I've been out here uh, for such a long time. Obviously, uh, my wife followed. And she was a mm. teacher, as teacher, so she was sort of finishing off her teaching degree, and she she followed uh, about probably eighteen months later. Well, my brother was a professional yeah. rugby player with me at the same time, so um, his his contract again, sort of similar sort of position, and then was like he came out and visited me, and then was like get me a job out here. So he he's he's in fitness, so I've got him a job as sort of like a personal trainer and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so he's got a, he's got a gym, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so he's he's gone from sort of working a gazillion hours a week as a personal trainer um, across a number of different companies to then going and owning in the gym. So, um, wow. yeah, one of the big fitness companies Shout out. out here. Shout out to you, yeah. brother. What's the gym called? Haraka. Haraka, uh, cool. Which, yeah, so... Um, which means movement in Arabic, Movement right? in Arabic, yeah. yeah. Very so, cool. um, yeah, so you guys, so you convinced him basically to come out, and uh, what did it, or he convinced himself when he came yeah, out? Yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> right. it didn't, didn't take much. What, what do you think it was? The beach, or what, what was uh, it? No, I just think I just think it was my my brother isn't. Um, uh, he it he's always sort of I don't know what I say followed in my footsteps, but he's sure. always sort of like um, been keen to to sort of let me take the lead and then okay. and then um but he's obviously created a life out for, out here yeah, for himself absolutely. and he's done done really really well um but yeah he just sort of came out and visited sort of it was different um there was a lot of opportunity for him and uh yeah just didn't look back incredible stuff man i mean i understand why um there's been a huge surge in people kind of moving out here recently as mm-hmm. well just because of you know there's different things happening in europe and, and the u.s right now that people are perhaps trying to get away of uh, in some way um, but even before then, um, it's it's uh, yeah, it's very it's a very interesting space to be in, and definitely being in an emerging market 
feels very different to being in a in a you know mature market uh, like the UK, especially when we're talking startups and investment and so on. Um, have you? I, I suppose you've, the business that you've been doing and everything you've been doing has really only been out here; hasn't been in the UK. So you haven't been exposed to the UK market from a startup perspective as much, have you? No, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's definitely it feels it feels more exciting here because there is just more stuff to do. Um, but in the, it's different. It's actually different. I mean, for me, it's a personal thing, I think, but for me, there is something really exciting about being part of an emerging market. If you could call Abu Dhabi and Dubai emerging, because I was speaking to some people from, um, you know, VC that invests across frontier emerging markets. We're talking parts of Africa, parts of South Asia and so on. And, you know, they, they, they may not necessarily consider uh, the U- the UAE to be as much of an emerging market anymore, but it certainly still feels like one uh, to me. Just to, at least from the excitement perspective and the optimism and everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I think the region's probably moved on a hell of a lot in a short space of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just an exciting place to be. I think um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity. Um, out here for 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 different uh, companies, different business models. Um, I think that there's that sort of optimistic mindset and that that um, that ambition. The the region has a lot of ambition. I think they're very um, conscious. They've got to diversify away from um, the energy sector mm. and um, start up and in, innovation is is definitely part of that. Um, and I also think that they're just so receptive to new ideas um, and like there isn't necessarily sort of layers of bureaucracy to get to the person that you potentially need to that could help move your startup um, further down the line. Um, mm. Whereas maybe in more developed markets, you'd never get access to, to to the right people or the opportunity would never get presented to you in the same way. So um, don't get me wrong. I think that there are probably going to be a number of startups that come here Um to to basically sort of dip their toe in the water and not right. get not really sort of understand the region and and probably won't get out of it what what they could do if they mm. really sort of committed to the region. I think that I think that um, the, the government and and um, the ecosystem is set up to to help people that want to be here and and grow from here. Um, mm. I, I think they're probably less inclined to 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 help people that sort of come up, set a rep office here, but have one person in here <laughs> right. and, and never actually never right. actually sort of grow from here. But um, but yeah, I think I think that it's a very exciting place to be. Um, we we're obviously very proud to be growing our business from from Abu Dhabi. Um, the three founders uh, are all sort of in. Michael's been here 16 years, um, myself and Matt, are, yeah, 10, 11, 12 years. So, uh, all British founders? No, so I'm the only okay. Brit. All uh, right. Okay. Two Aussies. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, um, I, I bet people always come around, turn around to you and say, well, similar enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, um, yeah, we, we all no. get on really well, apart from Sorry. during cricket or rugby when England play Australia. But, that uh, must be tough. Yeah. yeah that must be really tough. But other than that, no, it's, 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 like I said, it's, it's been a, it's been a great journey. Um, and, uh, really, yeah. I said, proud to, 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 to do it from Abu Dhabi. That's amazing, man. And the problem that you're solving is a global one. It's not just a problem in one part of the world. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about what the problem is that you're trying to solve with Squirrel Education? Yeah, so Squirrel Education. So we have built an edtech platform, um, that gamifies financial literacy for, for students. Um, we just think that, oh, I think it's, fairly obvious that, that there's a huge lack of financial education um, across across the globe has led mm. to sort of generational um, financial pressure and stress um, across populations. Like you said, it's not just a, an emerging market problem, right? The most developed economies in the world, populations really struggle uh, with managing their money and preparing for later life and, and yeah, I mean, general sort of day-to-day living. So um, I think what we're doing is 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 trying to uh, not solve, but uh, help towards a, a huge global problem, uh, but in a way that 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 is engaging for students. I think that this, like, whilst there is a huge lack of financial literacy education out there, the majority of the stuff that we come across um, is still very much like knowledge consumption. So it's like. Uh, 
watch these videos, read this blog article or, or research paper, and then somehow that the, the user is then supposed to translate into good financial habits. Whereas oh, okay. what, we're, what we're trying to do is, is provide simulations for children on a consistent basis so that they actually build those habits and behaviors as opposed to, um, as opposed to just consuming information. I mean, like you put it into a, into a health and fitness context, we can, we can talk to to children until they're blue in the fa- until we're blue in the face yeah, in terms yeah, of, yeah. of like e- eating a balanced yeah, diet yeah, and exercise, but yeah. unless we're just giving them the opportunity, they're still going to go to McDonald's after uh, mm. uh, after school. They're still going to play five hours of Call of Duty yeah, uh, uh, of on, 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 when they get home. So we need to give them the opportunity to practice those habits and behaviors, and and, and that's sort of the ethos of of what, what Squirrel is with regards to sort of personal finance and financial literacy education. Wow. There's quite a bit to unpack there, but let's start just from the kind of bigger perspective of, you know, why this problem is important to solve. I know you already touched on that and you said that definitely it's an obvious one uh, that, you know, there there is a problem uh, with, with financial literacy and it's being recognized everywhere, not just here. Um, with the generational gap in just knowing how to handle money and, and not be under pressure or whatever it might be. Um, but what sort of, what have you come across to kind of like really push that drive that point home that it's actually a problem that is worth solving uh, globally even well it's a difficult one because if you turned around to a 10 year old child and asked them have you got a financial literacy problem they're gonna go i don't know what you're talking about right so what we what we're trying to do is is it's a prevention right like instead of trying to treat the symptoms of necessarily uh people with, with financial literacy education problems adults right let's go back to the the root and let's try and prevent right so um i mean the statistics there will speak for themselves i mean two, two out of three people walking the planet would be cons- like deemed financially illiterate um that was a uh, that's very high yeah i mean was research wow. from sort of standard and pause um you know, sort of the s&p and and uh Look, and and, and it's, it's obvious to see, like people, like I said, people are massively un, underprepared for, for for later on in life. Um, the, the the statistics around um, sort of money and and sort of the mental health issues that that, that financial pressure creates, how it affects relationships, um, and it being a huge driver for things like divorce and stuff like that. So, mm. look, I think that that. We've we've not massively neglect financial literacy, full stop. Um, but especially in a especially uh, at the young at the younger stage, most of the stuff you do see is like just for those like last year of school, maybe or if university, even if even yeah, that. If right? like so that. yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, I, I don't remember receiving any financial literacy lessons as a as a kid. So I mean, I went to the UK when I was twelve, right? But so before then, less. I mean, definitely nothing. Um, after then. I don't remember having any financial literacy. Like all we had was like the PSHE class or whatever the hell that was. And it was just bloody useless. <laughs> it was like, they, it was the most useless thing in the world. And it would be a whole bunch of crap put together into one thing that's like, you should think about this and this and this and this and it'll be financial, sexual health, blah, blah, blah. And it's just all, it's just ticking boxes and it's just, it's BS really at best. Um, and then at university, I want to say there were some things available as a voluntary thing if you wanted to do them and if you were looking for them. But it, again, just wasn't... And you're trying to navigate yourself through university, right? I mean, you right? have so like, many things to do and get involved with. You're not going to think, I should teach myself about financial literacy, right? So it's kind of one of those things where I suppose, where do people pick the skills up from right now? Is it just parents? And if they're lucky to have a family that... This is it, right? Like the statistics, statistics show that people aren't having conversations with their parents at home growing up, right? And that, that was a huge, yeah, that was a huge, that's a, that's a huge, point. huge yeah. driver for me when I, uh, as, as, as starting this, right? Like rule number one in our household is we don't talk about money in this house, right? And that, that's, uh, and that's, I think that that's not because, that's not because, um, like mum and dad were just trying to protect us, right? Yeah, and and, and I can remember, no. when, I can remember mm. when, um, I can remember like the, the thing that rings, yeah, we don't talk about money in this household, but like you've got the rest of your life to worry about money. Well, how, how, like, how pessimistic is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, like, and, and wow. again, like, dad, yeah. dad, dad, dad in particular was like, look, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a grown up thing, right? And, mm. and that, when you actually dig deeper into it, we weren't the only household. The majority of households aren't talking to their children about Absolutely. money and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, if you're not learning at school, if you're not learning at home, there's not many social initiatives to teach people about money. Well, mm. where are they supposed to learn? Yeah. 
And then you read, you know, don't go and ask your poor neighbor how to be rich. Yeah. And, and well, you're I mean, like, well, right. where do I go then? Uh, uh, and it's, it's thing. I mean, like TikTok is now the, is now the, the it's where people yeah. get in their financial advice, yeah, right? Yeah. But I mean, a lot of that is, a lot of that is how, yeah. told by people who have yeah. different reasons to be looking, to be looking to Correct. grow and so on. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, part of, um, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I remember growing up at one point realizing there is a lot of certain types of education that I need to be able to just do better in life and, you know, do better than previous generations and so on. And I had to look outside to get access to those things. I mean, you know, love my parents and to bits and taught me so many things about values and a whole bunch of things and grit and all that stuff. You just kind of, because you just see them work their mm. ass off, right? For, the, for those things. But, um, but there are some things that just weren't, they didn't know how to even teach it to us, I suppose, growing up. And we, I had to look outside. I had to look elsewhere. And so, I'll be honest, social media and those things helped me a lot because I could look outside for some people like, you know, some of the greats who are managing whatever X fund and so on and just kind of learn from them those skills and those things. Um, but it was kind of an initiative taken by myself to do that. And thankfully, I realized that I need to do that at one point. And I would say right now, I'm still not that great with money, to be honest with you. Like I probably, there's probably a lot I can still learn. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I can see the importance of just having that being done at an earlier age and kind of supporting with that. This episode is brought to you by EcoSwap. EcoSwap is bringing together the UK's favorite eco-friendly high street brands onto a single gift card, allowing you to give the gift of choice, where your loved ones can choose from brands such as The Body Shop, Rituals, Toast Brewing, The National Trust, and many, many more. And our gift to our listeners is 10% off your first purchase with EcoSwap when you use the code GOODFORPROFIT at checkout. What sets EcoSwap apart is their commitment to sustainability and ethics. They meticulously curate their brand selection, ensuring that each one meets rigorous standards set by esteemed certifiers such as B Corp, 1% for the Planet, Climate Neutral, or they're a UK registered charity. With EcoSwap, you're not just giving a gift. You're choosing to support the UK's best brands that are genuinely committed to benefiting both people and planet. So go ahead, give an EcoSwap gift card today. Visit ecoswap.uk and use the code GOODFORPROFIT at checkout. That's good for profit with no spaces for your 10% off your first order today. Do you ever get any pushback around, I mean, we'll dig into sort of how you deliver the, the mechanism of delivery for, for all of that stuff, but do you ever any get pushed around from the parents saying, this should be our job and we should be doing this stuff. Why are you getting involved with this? No, I mean, normally, normally, the, normally the opposite, right? Like... Uh, <laughs> The teachers, the schools we're in, teachers are constantly coming up to us, going, "Parents are stopping me in the um, in the in the in the playground, saying that they're so grateful that their teach like the schools teaching them financial literacy education and stuff." And the teachers say, "Like, I feel like frauds because we're not actually doing anything." <laughs> but um, but like, uh, I mean, I think if anything, I think most parents are like, "I'm so like, I want my child to 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 be financially yeah. resilient and and." get to a point of financial independence one day um yeah and 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 any all, all the help is 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 a good thing right i mean i i, I don't think that i don't think that any parent has ever sort of said oh too much financial literacy education is a bad thing for my child right 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 um so you you mentioned schools and teachers so your way of solving the problem is by providing simulation for kids to be able to actually get in and try the stuff We'll dig more into that as well in a minute. Um, but to deliver it, to get it in front of the, the the children, how do you do that at the moment through schools primarily? Yeah, so Squirrel is a at the moment is a for schools platform. Okay, um, it is uh, the reason why we've gone that way is because I mean, if our North Star is to truly, genuinely trying to get as many children as financially literate as possible, um, putting a platform into an environment where um, into or into a, into into somewhere that's built for education, where they're surrounded by teachers who are experts of fostering education and learning, is definitely got to be the 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 right thing to do. Now, the schools face a number of challenges um, trying to bring financial literacy into school, and we can talk about that. But um, but but yeah, I mean, by having one conversation with with a, a senior leader at a school, we can get. 250 to 1500 kids using our platform do you know what I mean whereas how long would that potentially take if we went sort of B to C to try and get as many as many children as possible so um, I think that 
and it, and it needs to be in school. Like financial literacy needs to be in schools. But like I said, there's a number of things that schools face um, that that block that. Um, but Are you I, happy to go into a little it, bit of that? As yeah, well? absolutely. I mean, look, financial literacy is still a nice to have subject, right? If you're right. a head teacher of a school, right. And you've got your KPIs is to try and get your children through the sort of core subjects to get them onto university or the mm. next stage of their edu- education. At the moment, there's no one breathing down your neck saying, right, are these children financially literate. Like yeah. if you haven't done your job unless these children are financially literate. So um, there's that. Curriculum's already rammed. I mean, mm. I, sit, I sit with so many head teachers all the time and it's like, look, we, we want to we want to do all this sort of stuff, the life skills and, and develop. I mean, they're, like they're all schools at the moment are sort of, um, sort of chasing the tail, like what we're going to do with AI and, and like, obviously like things like sort of developing careers, like, uh, sort of coding and stuff like that. They're trying to work out what they're doing, but they're like, nothing ever gets taken away from us. Mm. Right. So we still have to teach everything else, but they like, we get chucked more and more stuff and there's only right. so many hours in the day. So, um, if I if I came to a head teacher and said, look, we've got the best financial literacy platform in the world, but we need three hours a week for your children to learn, they'll roll out their week, give me a red pen and say, well, yeah. you, tell me, you tell me where you're going to put that in. Um, right. So yeah, no that's, curic- that's a real problem. Yeah, no yeah. curriculum time. Um, no specialist teachers. Uh, teachers are often overworked. So to, to, to put them into a position to teach a subject that maybe they're not familiar with, or especially as, as, as the children get older in that sort of 16 to 18 year old bracket. I've sat down with a number of teachers who said, do you know what? I don't know how comfortable I'd feel delivering personal finance. So wow. what we've tried to do is, is, I mean, I think what, what, um, what's led to some of the traction that we've had or that, that is, is been trying to tackle some of those, um, issues. Um, and we've done that quite successfully. So how, how do you, how do you convince someone that they have what it takes to be able to teach someone well, financial literacy, for example? Well, we, we don't ask them to do it, right? So, <laughs> so we, okay. we, 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 we do the financial literacy, uh, financial literacy learning element for the students, sort of asynchronous, oh. asynchronous learning. Um, yeah. But we, we find, like, we, we embed it through the school, um, into the school ecosystem. Simulation is a really interesting one as well. I think simulation is, is a brilliant little tool to be used and I've been coming across more and more areas where simulation is, is coming in um, handy um, not just within financial literacy for kids but also other areas um, what was the appetite like for doing it that way and the kind of what was the general perception of the market when you said that, you know we're not going to do it with videos and tools and things like that we're actually just going to do it with simulated games I presume yeah I mean like it's we're asking children to 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 basically do the things that they're going to face out in the real world. So they're earning virtual income. They have to pay different utility bills on a regular basis. They've got a number of different accounts, a current account, a savings account, an emergency fund. They've got to move money between those different funds, deal with unexpected emergency expenses. And obviously, as we build out the platform, there'll be more and more features. But the, the perception, I mean, has been great. I mean, massively positive positive the feedback's been great i mean children children want to learn by doing um yeah. i think they 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 like the 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 competition element that we've we've created and uh, but it's it's a much more engaging like giving 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 a child a, a video of why they should save money or or invest money is going to be very different to giving them the opportunity in a safe environment to actually invest money yeah, like virtual absolutely. money right like so absolutely. um we, uh, we we believe a lot more learning is going to happen out that way, um, but it's also a lot more fun for the children. Yeah, of course, competitions and, and the like. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, it, we, you you need to in the simulation, you need to try and make it feel um, as, as real, real as, as possible, possible yeah. but also create that sort of emotional stake, right? And and make that child think about their decision because it has as as a consequence, right? Mm. Um, whether that's winning for themselves or winning for their class, um, so. It's that it's that um, it's that creation of, of of simulation that that allows the child to feel like they're acting like their parent, right? So I've got my own online banking dashboard. I've got my own currency, oh, my Super own cool. income that, that, that they're earning. Yeah. I can make my decisions of how I use that, right? They're just children, and, and our current user base is, uh, is is the younger parts of the school. So we sort of, at the moment we've got sort of six, seven year olds through to sort of eleven, twelve is probably our, our main okay. our main users. But they just want to emulate their parents, right? Absolutely. And and and, um, and yeah, I mean that's that that's been really exciting for them, and the feedback we've had has been fantastic. 
That's incredible, man. You're working with a lot of the schools here in Abu Dhabi. That's right. Yeah. Right. Most of them. Yeah. I mean, we've got, we've got a lot of schools here in, in, in the UAE. We've, um, not unintentionally, we've got schools all around the world and we've got, yeah. got schools uh, up and running in Mexico through to, Sid- <laughs> to, to wow. Sydney. I mean, and we're like, we haven't, we, we've hardly done any, we haven't done real any marketing or anything like that. Um, Matt's been playing around on Canva with, with, our, with our social media. <laughs> okay. um, but he's but like, so it's just genuinely it's just re- referrals, the, right? It's like yeah. t- teachers have worked, they've, they've worked across the world or they've worked in different schools and they're like, oh, my old school would love this. Let me put you in touch with X, Y, Z. So that's, and we obviously, we got a bit giddy at the beginning. We was like, oh my God, like the schools in Mexico. But yeah. um, obviously now we're, we're quite a small team yeah, focusing sure. on the UAE and building out from them is a lot more sustainable. But of course, schools around the world are That's more than welcome to yeah. use our platform. I mean, it shows the, the demand for it. Right? Is it, it, like, the, like, yeah. it goes back to the beginning of the conversation. It's a purely global issue that we're trying to deal with. Yeah, it really is. And going back again to kind of learning from influencers online. Uh, so as you know, something that might people might turn to TikTok or whatever. Mm. I guess, do you think that's going to stop? Do you think like one day we'll have this stuff so well done, uh, all of the financial history lessons and all that stuff, so people won't have to look for random online personalities to kind of teach them things about how to manage finances and so on? Or do you think there's always going to be a gap that's filled by that, but perhaps more for adults or kind of what's your view on it? It's a good question. Um, I think that, I think that financial literacy and financial education will become more prevalent in academic lives of students, right? Like we're seeing in the US, I think more than half of the states in the US have mandated financial uh, financial literacy or education course to be passed upon graduation. Mm. Um, That's great. So I think we're right at the, the bottom of the wave, right? And yeah. I think there will yeah. be a huge momentum shift because, I mean, even in Parliament a couple of weeks ago in the Education Committee, we're we're debating about how we can we can get financial literacy more into schools and what we can do to promote and this is in the UK, right? So um I think that there is gonna be that that movement um and we will see it become more um more common in school in a school environment. I don't think that the sort of TikTok influencer um is gonna stop. I think a lot there, a lot yeah. of those people, like you said, have got their own agendas that are necessary pushing. And as long as that's there, they're going to continue to do that. Um, so we do need to find a way to get credible resources for students and, and trusted resources for, for, for children to, to, to go to and make them available to, to, to those children. So they're not necessarily relying on um, uh, an influencer online to, to, to give them, their life, their, lifetime financial to, yeah, advice, right? To take their their savings and uh, in in a claim to give them back their uh, whatever it is they're going to give them back. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and and maybe they won't fall for an MLM scheme, which uh, a lot of people tend to fall for as well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, look, it's, 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 look, if people if pe- if people are uh, educated and understand uh, the basics, yeah. then they're going to be less susceptible to stuff like this. So this is actually a really interesting point. And, and I was kind of curious about this. Where do you start with children? I mean, do you start with, you know, this is how money works in the world? Do you start with, this is why it's important to save? Or, you know, do you go into what sort of returns yeah, no, you can get no, depending no. on what you invest in? I mean, how, how sort of far do you go with this and where do you start? At the moment, it? it's, we're, we're emulating what we do as adults, right? And we're giving the children the opportunity to do that. Now, what we do is we reward the children who are consistently doing that. So right. we are trying to create behavioral change in children, um, positive behavioral change in children. And we're doing that by they get rewarded consistently. So if you're paying your bills on time, if you're moving money from your current account to your savings account, like if you're if you're sort of journeying through and 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 hitting the different check marks in your savings account, or if you're paying if you're paying for like those unexpected emergencies from money you've set aside in your emergency fund, mm. right? You're picking up points all the time, right? So what we're trying to do is is use our platform to create that behavioral change for children. Um whilst in, in that simulation environment. Now, as we build out the, the complexity of the platform, there'll be a lot more that they need to do. Um, and we're not also saying that the, the more traditional sort of rote education or the videos and the questions won't come in, right? Sure. But it's just, at the moment, there's no sort of like, what we feel like we're doing, we're trying to create a, like a lab environment for these children to, mm. to practice these things, yeah, right? Yeah, well, that's exactly like, it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, a playground. Uh, yeah, correct, yeah. right? And 
it's a safe environment for, for them to fail as well, yeah. right? So, um, and a lot of learning comes from sort of failing. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that... Um, I mean, it's kind of like going back to sports, right? I mean, you can watch all the videos you want about how to do a certain trick in football or a certain spin in rugby or whatever it might be, but you have to go and try out on the ground. So first thing is going to be educating kids and doing simulations and supporting them with that, working with schools. Um, where do you think it will go after that? Do you have, any, have you thought about where this can go in the next sort of three, four, five years? Or are you kind of just focusing right now on let's do this bit now really well and then we can think about those well look, i think there's there's a lot of space for us to grow in the school space right like right. there's like the schools all over the world that we can that, that we can help and, and work with um i think the next step would obviously trying to bridge the the gap between or the education journey between school and home so i think that bringing the parents involved and, and finding a way to to create that that same potentially same ecosystem at home um, and maybe finding a way to upskill the parents as well. There's, there's nice research that shows that um, something called a reverse spillover effect, which basically says that if your, if your children are learning financial literacy education at school, then they are, um, then the parents are more likely to demonstrate higher levels of financial literacy behaviors. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, That's brilliant. I mean, if you, if, if you, if oh. you're a doctor, your yeah. child, your child's more likely to be a doctor. If you're a professional yeah. athlete, your child's, it's, it's that sort of thing, but the other way around, right? Yeah, so if yeah. your child's learning financial literacy education, there's more chance of, there's, there's academic research that shows that you're then more uh, likely to show better levels of financial literacy behaviors. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you're going to hear your kid talk about a whole bunch of things that you don't know anything about, or you know something about it, but not as much. And You start becoming more conscious about it. You start becoming more conscious, precisely. You, you actually may end up learning some things from your kid and think, I should be setting the example here, <laughs> as opposed to kind of learning the other way around. I mean, obviously, both ways is great, but it might make you more likely to go out and do your own research and become better and improve, right? So it makes perfect sense. And I actually want to touch on that on whether at some point you see yourself involving the parents in some way. Um, just because I guess the question would be the following. You do the best that you can to teach children financial literacy through the program that you've got with schools, but then they go home and the parents do the exact opposite every single day of what the kids are being taught. Mm -hmm. Do you think, do you, do you think that still that would be a problem or do you think the kids are engaged enough by playing this simulation that they actually were just going to learn the, 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 the skills anyway? Or do you think there's something that could be done there? No, look, there's a journey, right? Uh, the, 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 and it, there's going to be an evolution of what we're doing, right? And I think that bringing the parents along on the journey is definitely something part of our roadmap. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you hit a, an important point. I think um, what we... A lot of our beliefs and our relationship with money um, are developed at a really young age. So we we can start to to understand basic basic financial concepts of like um, uh, from as young as three years old, and then by seven, wow, a lot of those um, beliefs and and behaviors are starting to to to, to become a little bit more formal and and, and solidify. So. Um, now that's that, that very mean, young. I mean, yeah, that's I mean, a lot younger sort of, than I thought. Yeah. I, like, Cambridge did that research and, and that doesn't mean that, that you can't change behaviours, obviously. Um, but as we know, the older you get and the more sort of ingrained those behaviours are, the more difficult they are to change. Um, so as part, like, so as young parents, you need to be conscious about what your, your children are seeing um, and, and, and your actions, because like any behaviour that we want to instill in our children, mm modeling it at yourself is going to be the biggest driver for for your child to pick that that behavior up so we definitely i mean like you said we've definitely got a um we've definitely got an interest and desire to to try and improve those behaviors and an understanding of adults and parents yeah it's just because um i've seen a lot of examples throughout life of um you know if if kids are in a certain habit when they're at home you can try and change that outside of the house and then they go back home and they go back into the same habits again. I'm, I'm not talking about financial things here, but just other things, you know? Um, or maybe they're, I don't know, uh, a little bit more, maybe they're treated differently by the aunts and uncles and they can be a little bit more spoiled there or, you know, they go back home and they're just a little bit more strict again. So it's like when you're raising kids, you kind of notice these things. I mean, I'm not myself, but I know a lot of people who are 
and you notice these things that sometimes they can actually influence the the, the child um, uh, quite actively. And so the question for me, I guess, was just around that kind of how do you make sure that you're supporting them even when they're not using uh, the simulation in some way? Yeah, I, th- I think I think if we can find a way to 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 do that, or uh, with thought, uh, I mean, it's definitely like I said, it's definitely on the roadmap. But I mean, it's one of those things where it's like. We can only control so much, no, no, and, of course. And, I mean, that's, yeah. and what's the alternative, right? We, yeah. we we don't we don't we don't give them the right uh, <laughs> yeah. opportunity in school. No, no, absolutely not. Chat, no, so. no, no, definitely not. And, and also, I think there's a line. I mean, the back to the point that I was saying earlier, where like you know, to what extent it, it, it can't be it can't come across as though you're trying to tell parents how to parent because parents have egos, and you know they're like, excuse you, like I don't know how to raise my kid. Thank you very much, right? So, so it needs to come across in a way as well where it doesn't doesn't feel like that. So, there's also kind of a a, a line there. Uh, that you're yeah, and, I, with, I, and I think I think that finding a way to have them involved in their in their children's education and they're they're like on that journey together, like in the sense that they're they're involved in that process of of of, of um, upskilling their child or or helping that child um, understand the basic concepts. I think it's a nice way to do it, right? So that bringing them along that journey and they're a big part of that education where or giving them an an excuse or a reason to be part of that which they don't have at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense, man. Um, As young as three to seven, that was a shocking thing for me to learn uh, just now. That's kind of, you can be as young as that. I'm trying to remember, you know, what sort of things I might have seen as a kid now when I'm four or five years old around money and and whether that's affecting how I see and my relationship with it today. I think people's relationship with money is something that a lot of people relate to. I think it's something that's been on a lot of people's radar. I feel like there was a bit of a a buzz about it as well, kind of over the last number of years um, with the rise in, you know, buy now, pay later and, you know, credit card debts and everything that we're seeing all over the world. I feel like more and more people are becoming conscious of you know, what is my relationship with money and how does that look and so on. And as an adult, it's an interesting thing to think about and can can be a bit of a scary topic for people. I mean, you you worked as a wealth manager, right? Um, did you ever come across people that you worked with, maybe not necessarily clients, but just kind of people you came across who were scared of checking the bank account, for example, or were, you know, scared of of digging into certain things around money because they're worried what they might find out? Is that something that you came across at all? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many different types of personalities when right. it when it comes to money. I think, I think a, a lot of our beliefs and relationship around money, like I said, is is formed at a young age, and you'll find that you'll find that the way you behave around money and you, the way you act um, is probably because of a reason of something you saw or you got consistently told. Um, one example would be like, I mean, I, I've had clients before who who've actually. Um, sort of self, self, self-made and done really, really well. And they get to the t- they get to the age where they're like, right, you've done really well. You can spend your money, go and enjoy it. And mm-hmm. because they were told when they were young, put that back. We can't afford it. Um, like, like not now. Um, and stuff like that. They then find it difficult to then spend their own money. Or, or when you actually dig into when you actually dig into to um, and have conversations and, and dig into people, people were say that they're, they're, they're relaying the same message that to, 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 to their children, mm. um, that they heard as, as kids, right? Like, uh, I don't know if they, uh, you look after the pennies, the pounds are looking after themselves, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, sort yeah, of thing, right? So, yeah, so, yeah. so, um, there's a really, there's a really famous Egyptian one as well that gets said all the time. And it's kind of like, let me translate this, uh, into English. It'll be, um, Effectively, so stretch your legs as far out as your duvet will go. <laughs> That's kind of the same. Yeah. Um, but that gets told all the time to people. Like to, to us as kids growing up, to everyone, it's just like that gets told all the time. And so in every freaking household. Um, and it's again, it's, it's, it's a very similar kind of thing, you know, where it's like um, sort of be reserved and only only look as far as you can or as far as you can afford kind of way. But I think there's also the other side of that. That's, it, is, it can be a positive thing to be like, you know, sensible with your money. But then there's the other side, which is like basically just don't dream and just don't look beyond what you know. You yeah, know, so, I like, yeah. and and I think that, I think we we need to try and, and be careful about the way that we talk about money and, and try, especially as children at a young age and positive and not not limit beliefs and for, for these children. Um, why, and, why is it such a touchy subject? 
even for adults, like why is it such a, I feel like people generally, and, and myself included, are quite reserved about talking about their own, you know, situation, financial situation or whatever it might be. And I can understand why that is the case because it's kind of, you feel like that's none of your business. I mean, that's kind of my thing to deal with or whatever it might be. But do you, do you think there's like a deeper underlying thing here where... I, I, th- I think I think maybe because it's it it can be seen as a reflection of sort of self identity. So mm. so your net your mm. net worth right like dictates what sort of person you are, the decisions you've made in life mm. um, and stuff like that. Unfortunately, in society, and that's only probably getting worse because of social media and stuff like that. But like having those sort of conversations about money, how much how much you earn, and and um, and the decisions you've made with regards to your, your, your finances. Um, people don't want to share that because one, because like I said, it, the people feel like that's my business, um, which is, which is fair. Um, but to, I mean, if, I, if I give yeah. away too much information, it's sort of, it, I'm giving you the insight into to, to who I am and, yeah, and yeah. maybe there's, there's things that maybe they're not that proud of. Um, I mean, thinking back to my, to, to my dad, or, my dad um, won't mind me saying this, but like, <laughs> Thinking about back to 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 my childhood, I think probably, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's right. If I don't have to talk about it, I don't have to worry about it. And dad, dad mm. is probably very. Mum and dad were very different in terms of mindsets around money. Um, oh right, right, right. Dad, dad was dad, dad was fairly sort of like spend now, worry about it later. Whereas mum right. was completely opposite. So, so like one Epicurean, one Stoic. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, correct. But I mean, I think, yeah, I think uh, by not having those conversations, you don't have to have those sort of tough conversations or self-reflect on on decisions you've made and, and stuff like that. But it, again, like I think it always ties back into what, how will people perceive me? Mm, that's a really interesting point, yeah. I suppose I'm kind of thinking about it as well. If you go further back in time, I mean, resources ultimately are what ensured your survival. Correct, and so yeah. if you have enough of them or whatever, then that's going to help. And maybe there's also an underlying thing where if you have a lot of resources, then you'd be scared that people might steal them from you. And so you want to be a little bit more reserved about sharing that. And if you don't have enough, you don't want to come across as as though you're trying to take resources from other people. And so you probably also don't, don't want to share that. And so I'm just thinking about it even like, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, it kind of, you can... You can imagine where it's kind of like... There's probably a lot of sense in that, right? right. I mean, a lot yeah. of, we're, we're primal animals, right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, so, um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, uh, that sort of mindset, um, there's probably, probably... still there somewhere. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Wow. Funnily enough, you, we, <laughs> we talk about this. I was watching um, a video earlier I came across. I don't know how I came across this. A guy showing, uh, it's a side of a cliff, and then at the bottom of the side of the cliff, there is, it just looks like part of the cliff, but it opens up and it looks like there is a bit of a, like a kind of a carved out box inside. And apparently people used to use this back in the day as a safe to hide their stuff. Because, you know, people stole stuff all the time yeah. and they figured, well, if I, could car- if I can carve it out of a cliff and it doesn't look like it's been carved out, I can just keep my stuff in there and then close it back up again. Well, which is brilliant. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. maybe the man might paint some truth to what you just said about that. I think so, yeah. 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 It was uh, quite ironic that I literally came across that, I think, this morning, funnily enough. Yeah, so you're someone who's kind of, well, you're quite ambitious as a person. I can kind of tell you, you know, you were into uh, professional sports when you were younger. Um, you wanted to go into wealth management and you wanted to go, which is not a particularly easy career either um, to go into. And now you're building a startup as, as a founder, which means you are, again, working very hard and putting a, we, I think every founder that listens to this knows the kind of amount of work and effort that goes into building, building a company. Um, where do you think your ambition comes from? It's a good question. I think, look, mum and dad worked very hard. Mm. Like I, dad growing up, so my dad's a <laughs> black cab driver. So uh, oh, he's wow. a taxi, taxi driver, but like he used he to. He must have a very big hypothalamus. Just a little fun fact. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, did, did you, do you know about the study? I'm sorry to, um, I'm cutting you off telling a very personal thing right now, but. No, I mean, <laughs> it, it, the, because of the, they had to, they had to do memorize, knowledge and right? memorize. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. brilliant. Well, they had it hard, but yeah, sorry, please carry but on. Also, he's a typical cab driver, so he, chew okay. your ear, he could chew your ear off for about really? three, uh, three hours <laughs> in, if, if you've got a long journey. So uh, That's brilliant. Um, but a shout out to all the cab drivers out there. Absolutely, um, mate. But, Absolutely. Um, the, 
yeah, so both hard workers. So dad used to do long hours in the cab. Mum would um, work sort of full day in, in a school. So she, she, she um, sort of learning, uh, learning assistance at a school, but then would come back and she would have like a, another job that she would do in the evenings, like um, the sort of typing job that she'd do in the evenings. So they worked really, really hard. Um, I spent my weekends like every single weekend as a young child um, watching my dad play rugby. So dad, dad played rugby um, just for the local club team. But I would, I would, uh, I would go every single week and be on the sideline running on the kicking tee or the water bottles and stuff like that. And for the, for the local club team and um, probably a combination of that. And then I just fell in love with, with, with rugby and um, was like, how do I do this for a living? And, and, and under sort of, basically looking to what it, what it takes to be a professional athlete and never okay. really, really, really look back. And mm. I think that that's probably served me well in my life. And, um, and I think a lot of my work ethic has, has come from sort of striving to try and get into that professional sort of setup and then also understanding that professional setup, being in it and, and attention to detail and what you need to do to consistently sort of maintain a, a high level and, then try to use that to transition into a wealth management, um, have a wealth management career, and then obviously there's lots of stuff that is there's crossover for for building a startup. Of course, of course. Well, I wanted to ask about that as well. So you know, professional um, sports, <clears throat> professional athlete. Excuse me. What lessons did you learn from that that you're still applying? Do you think to this day? Yeah, look, I think think there's the obvious ones, right? Like working really hard and um, sort of... Did you have to train a lot? Yeah, all the time. How many days a week did you play rugby? So I think when when you're full-time, it's every day, right? And it's just something that you do. Let's say you'd you'd have your gym in the morning. Uh, You'd be in the weights room at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. Then you'd have your, your pitch session at... 10 30 11 till 1 30 and then you might have recovery or whatever so that i mean you, you you're all building for that for the game on the weekend so you, your week changes obviously depending on when you're playing and what your schedule looks like um and when you're traveling to different games and stuff like that um but i think that for most um professional athletes or the a lot of what you learn is the is the is on the journey to 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 to, to get into that to that place, right? So when okay. the, when there's no one stood over you with a camera watching you train and and monitoring your hydration and monitoring everything that you do, right? Like you've got to create that sort of environment for yourself as a youngster, right? So there's no one there's no one stood over you like when your alarm goes off, knowing that you got to go for a run or do hills on a Saturday Saturday morning as a 14, 15 year old, right? Like you, you've got, a, you've got a somehow, and it, it, it sounds more heroic than, than like no, when no, people no. make out. No, because, but you, no, you obviously loved it. I yeah, mean, you love it, right? Yeah, yeah, so exactly, it, it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't feel like, so to so going out, is just part of what you needed to yeah. do. And when you, when you're there, you're just like, like, I just like, I'm doing it because I love playing on the weekend and I love, I love, I love the journey that I'm on. Right. So yeah, I mean, it did like, yeah, it's a lot of work, but, Everyone, a lot of people work hard, right? It's, it's, but um, yeah, I loved what I, what I did. But a lot, I think, I think more of the learning happens mm. of what you've got to do when there's not that person standing over you and saying that you've got to do that. You haven't got things on the plate. You're not coming off the off the training pitch and straight yeah. on straight onto a massage bed and and yeah. someone's looking after you. Yeah, like, I mean, I think that's a bit of a misperception that people think that athletes always have that, always have a trainer, always have recovery people around them, always have those things. But yeah, no. it's not always there, right? <laughs> well, especially when you when you when you grow when you're growing up, every, every like, so many children in the uh, in around the world, their dreams be be professional athlete, right? So like you got to go and create that for yourself. Yeah, it's it's not a particularly easy thing to get into. I mean, there's a, there are so many footballers and rugby players out there, but only very few make it. <clears throat> yeah, and and, very, and very make what like, making it is 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 very relative, it's right? Very like relative, I mean, yeah, I had a very short career, four or five years of of, of doing it. Um, in my head, compared to a lot of people I've played with, I mean, I, I didn't make it, right? Like, sure, but sure. I mean, to someone else, they were like, "You played 40, 50 games of Premier League." That, that, like, that's that's, that, that's, that, that's so. Yeah. Again, it's, it's 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 all relative, and what what makes it. I mean, there's very few who probably make enough money over a ten year period to probably sure. give them five five years to work out what they're going to do after that. Sure, uh, there's, sure. 
there's probably quite a lot who get to 30 odd now have a young family and uh, are trying to, to work out yeah. what they're going to do next their body's broken um, well, that, them- that's the other thing that really scares me about particularly rugby and you know MMA rugby sports like that where I just feel like you know once you're in it you're like alright well that's it I'm in because just the injuries you're going to sustain and everything um can be quite hard. Did you sustain anything, any any bad injuries during your time? Yeah, I mean, look, I was I was fairly lucky with bones, and okay, I don't think I've got uh, a fast twitch fiber in my body, so I didn't pull it. <laughs> I pulled it. I was speed was never. I was more of a. Oh, right, okay. I was so more of a battering oh, right, okay, yeah, okay, work okay. workhorse than I was a okay. uh, was it was someone who was speed. <laughs> but um, I was more. Uh, so I, I I actually stopped because I was picking up too many concussions. Oh um, no that, way! That was it. That was my oh, thing. Me. I just I had way too many concussions in my time. Head so. injuries. It's just that's the scariest thing. It's scary. I mean, like you you very quickly realize that there's a lot more to life than playing rugby mm-hmm. uh, and then when you start having children and what like wanting to make sure that that, that um you're around you're for as their, healthy right, as possible so, for as long as possible so, so yeah, yeah so um and just decided to call like one too many concussions i was like right that's enough mm. so working hard and when no one's watching over you those are some of the things that, that you learn from that um how different was the switch to go from doing something like that that's so active and so physical and like you're you know you're literally training pretty much every single day to working in, on 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 a desk doing wealth management or or yeah yeah like i think i think the, the the biggest thing is that you when you're in an environment a professional uh, sporting environment like i said you you're being told constantly um what to do where to be what to eat like like, and stuff like that whereas in a wealth management environment it what was what I found probably the most difficult was um autonomy. basically autonomy right you in, in wealth you you sort of have to you're sort of running a business within a business so you're 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 having to go out and find your own clients um source, source your own clients bring them on yourself manage them sort of run your own sort of PL um and not having that that person sort of like right this is how you do it this way you that where you where you uh where you need to be um this is how uh, i sort of came in and uh you had to well, the, well, the uae is very different to well, right. especially uh, 12 years ago the wealth management sure. sector in the uae is very different to what the uk is uh the, the of, of what it is and the, probably the learning and the, the apprenticeship that i would have got maybe in the uk um would so have been I, different, yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, 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 i was very much learning on my learning <laughs> learn, learning on my feet here um so that was probably that was, brilliant. That was probably the, the 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 big difference um but there was there was there was a lot i mean there was a lot of stuff that 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 did carry over um uh and has served me served me well one of the things I haven't spoke about is I think one of the biggest things you get from professional sport is that 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 focus on attention to detail and the one percenters and like how finding right. find like I think with startups and, and like I know you asked me more about working in office, but it's that it's that always looking for that extra edge, right? And always looking for that one percent better every single day so that mm. so that you could that one percent could make a difference on the weekend when you play, right? And that one percent could looking for that one percent to change something that you're doing in your startup could be the thing that opens up a, a, a new mm. load of clients or uh, a, a new business model revenue. Like if you can dis- consistently do enough of those, yeah, little things. So rather than making huge big changes, it's just optimizing the little things to get more out of what you're doing. I think so because yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah, focusing on yeah those everyday things and trying mm-hmm. to be one percent better every day is is that's the sort of ethos you have when you're when you when you're playing um, and I think it's something that I think that really carries through to 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 building a startup or or working or trying to trying to uh, trying to be as successful as you excel. can in any yeah. any career yeah. And you mentioned that your ambition kind of came from watching your parents do just work really hard growing up. And you think that, so that, and, and obviously then you mentioned like, that's how you kind of got into rugby was by going and uh, watching your dad play on the weekends. Mm. Do you think that you're, do you think that people are born with certain levels of ambition and drive? Or do you think these things are learned at a young age, or do you think these things can be acquired at any point in life? 
just kind of from what you've seen with the other players you played with when you were doing rugby, with other people you've worked with in the past, do you think, it might be a bit of a controversial thing to say, but I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on it. No, I, th- I think that people will work hard at anything that they're passionate about, right? I think it's just aligning your, or finding that passion, right? I was obsessed with rugby growing up, right? I loved it. And my brother was the same. So we, it, like I said to you before, and then there's um, lots of people say it, right? That doesn't feel like work, right? Like in, there's lots of people in lots of different walks of life, careers. It doesn't feel like work because I love doing it. Mm. So I think there's probably everyone's probably got that in them, it, whether people get an opportunity to explore that enough or, or in an environment where they're able to do it is something completely different, right? Yeah. Um, but that on the flip side, I think as well, there's a, an environment can create different mindset and 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 produce work. I think I've seen it enough where, mm. where, um, where, rock star players come into a, 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 a who, who are, big game day players but rubbish trainers come into an environment where no this is how we do things around mm-hmm. here and they completely change over time and they become a lot more dedicated to their mm-hmm. training and recovery and all that sort of stuff like so I, did, I mean yeah, it's a bit of a cop out to say there's a bit of both but I, I genuinely think that um, if you can find something you're passionate about it doesn't feel like work and even though mm-hmm. that, you, that you are working quite hard on it do you find it as easy to do that with work, with a laptop, on, on a business, whatever, as it is with physical stuff like sports or playing an instrument? Do, do you think it's easier in one realm than the other or do you think it just is the same in both for you? Um, yeah, like I, I, I do. Um, I was saying to my brother, like I haven't had... Uh, it wasn't until sort of starting Squirrel, um, it, it had been a long time since I, I'd spent time in that, you know, that flow state that people right. talk about, right? right. Like, um, because uh, that wealth management career, as much as it was enjoyable and um, made some amazing relationships with lots of clients and stuff like that, it wasn't. I wasn't waking up every day and getting springing out of bed and saying, I love this, right? Mm. Um, whereas now I'm working on something that I'm truly passionate about. I feel like I'm, I'm making an impact. Um, there's a lot of room for sort of growth. Um, there's obviously a lot of upside potential gain in it. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of ingredients that have, have put me back into that, like I'm working so hard, but it doesn't feel like I'm working. Um, don't get me wrong. There's moments where you feel like you're working, <laughs> yeah. but but um, but but yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm a lot closer to that that like I said, flow state. I don't know how to best describe it, but that that just that that love of of what you're doing um, again. So uh, so yeah, that's incredible, man. How are you balancing all of that with staying healthy, staying well, but also looking after kids and family? I mean, you've got couple of cute ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I've got um, a young family. Um, I've got one year old and three year old. I've got an amazing wife. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's hard. Um, uh, lots of, lots of people that you have had on, on this podcast or, or, or listening, um, they're all in the same situation and, and it's, and it's trying to get that balance right. Um, I'm not saying that I'm great. Yeah. I mean, um, my, my family sort of very understanding. I, f- I find it difficult to sometimes be present when I need to be, to mm. be, to be present. Um, but well, it's we, a huge priority for me. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think I'm at the stage in my life, like I'm very conscious about making sure that, that I do find time and make sure that it's, that, that they are a priority and they do like, I don't sort of neglect that because a lot of people say it goes super quick and, and mm. even just like, have you felt that already? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. It's just it, my my little girl. She started walking um, just before her first birthday, and she's only well, she's probably like fourteen months now. But like, she's che- like tearing around the playground. Really? Like, yeah, wow. bless, bless her. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it just it just it's just you blinking and then it, yeah. it happens. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it 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 is a difficult difficult to to to, to balance. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that everyone, everyone's gonna is gonna face in in that situation, and and you've just got to try and navigate it the best way that you can, yeah. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned about being present. I think that's a really important one. I remember we were talking about that a little while back as well. It's just, it's not just about being there in the room, but it's about being present when you're there in the room, right? Yeah, and and that is something I struggle with, right? Mm. I'm there. My wife says to me, you're there, but you're not there, right? <laughs> like thinking you know, about, I'm thinking about, oh, yeah. no, I've just had that great idea or, mm. or I need to get back into that person or who can I speak to? Who can I speak to? Who's going to introduce me to this person? Like it, it, it doesn't stop and it is difficult to switch that off, right? But that's um, just because you're so passionate about it as well, right? Yeah, I mean, if I didn't yeah. care, then yeah. I wouldn't be thinking about yeah. it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. If, 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 so, um, but that's not an excuse. Right, like it's that's like that's not gonna that's not gonna mean that that you get to relive those moments. Like when when those moments and you're not present, they're gone. They're gone. Right. So I can't hide behind that. So it's something that that I need to be conscious. Of, I need to be better at. Um, and for this, for my sake, right, not just for my kids' sake, my family's sake. I need to 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 be able to look back and think I was. I was truly there with my children and, 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 and yeah, I, I mean, I am, I mean, I, I feel like I'm getting, I get balanced, but I could be a hell of a lot better than I, with what I'm doing. Oh, awesome. Good reflection. Um, and balance with health as well. I mean, is it, do you think for you, I guess for you, it's not, is it a time of day thing? Like, is it how many hours you have in the day where you can do all those things or is it a, I'm just thinking about the business a lot because I care about it and love it so much. Uh, or a mix of both. Yeah, I, like, I mean, I'm a routine guy. Right, so yeah, yeah. I like to train in the mornings and okay. stuff like that. I think one of the things that I've probably, as matured, um, I've become, I've probably given myself a little bit more sort of self-empathy in the sense that okay. I've, I've, I've been historically very sort of hard on myself my mm. self-talk can be can get quite negative and okay. i miss a training session or, or or i have a number of days where i'm not eating very well and i can mm. really get sort of like down on myself and mm. and sort of punish myself in, in my right. head um but i think that's that's slowly changing to to understand of the sort of situation i'm at i don't need like being healthy and and being fit and is something that's very important to me, yeah. but doing it to the same standards as I once did mm. isn't necessarily this what what what's needed right now. And and I can sort of give myself a little break to to potentially needing to 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 do that. And I'm, I'm like, if I have a few days of bad eating, it's not like I get really down on myself. It's like right, yeah, just get your head back on and 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 make make the next day a good one. Yeah. So um, I think as I've matured, I've definitely like in a sense, um, yeah, like I'm able to, to, to put things in perspective a lot, um, a lot better for myself. Yeah. One of the things that I've found really helpful to do for me, um, especially when, cause things get crazy and it's just, if you're starting a company, things get crazy. There's no way around it. There are going to be days where you're doing crazy hours. There are going to be weeks where you're doing even crazier hours and that's just going to happen. And one of the things that I remember um, was really helpful for me and one of the things that I stick to now is to know what the bare minimum is where I'm okay with. And and as long as I'm sticking to at least that, then I don't beat myself. Like I don't beat myself about it, if that makes sense. So it's like, because for me, when I think, especially when it comes to health, like long-term health, you know, I've had a herniated disc on my lower back in the past. I've had, I've had mul multiple things that I've had to deal with over time. And I don't want those things to affect me in the long run or to come back or anything like that. And so for me, physical health has become really important. And one of the things that I've found that are really helpful around that is to just know what the bare minimum is. Because sure, I want to work out. I want to do... I want to do seven days a week. There is a different thing I'm doing each day and I'm optimum health throughout the whole time, right? Whether it be lifting or zone two cardio or sprinting or whatever it might be in a combination of all those things to make sure I'm at my optimum level. But realistically speaking, week in, week out, if I can do that, fantastic. But there are going to be weeks where I can't go all the way and do all of those things. So for me, what's been really helpful is what is that bare minimum? What does that look like? And just knowing that in advance means that you know, at least I know now, okay, I had four hours of sleep last night. I'm not going to go to the gym and exert myself even further because I have a whole day ahead of me where I'm going to work in, you know, nine, 10 hours or whatever. 
right, I know what the bare minimum is that I need to do today, I'll just do that. Yeah, so, that, that, I mean, that resonates yeah. a lot with me. I think yeah. uh, it, it's that atomic habits, right? It's that, it's that consistency, it's that yeah. compounding over a long period of time and you doing you knowing that sort of minimum, but doing it consistently is so much better than, I mean, I, I am probably the world's worst at, of setting myself, all right, I'm going to train seven days a week, two, out, two, two sessions a day, <laughs> yeah, yeah, do yeah, it, yeah. do it consistently for five, six yeah, weeks exactly. and then just have a completely fall off a cliff because yeah. I've missed one session and then get back <laughs> on it. And I feel like, so again, that, yeah. I think, I think that is part I'm, of I've the, been there so many times. Yeah, man, that's part like, of the journey. That's <laughs> yeah. a part of the journey that, that, that I'm on at the minute. Um, and I'm getting a lot better at it and, and it's listening. I've listened to sort of outside voices and mm. I can, my brother's obviously big in the health, like in the health space. Yeah, and, um, that sort of, it's weird to say like lowering the bar or lowering expectations, but allow that allows you to become consistent mm. is better for you than setting really high goal, like high, high, higher bar and not not achieving that consistently. I, I wouldn't even call it lowering the bar though. That that's that I, I wouldn't even go that far. I would say that it it's just setting something that you know for a fact that regardless of any circumstance around you, unless you're like in a hospital bed, you know, God forbid, you're gonna be able to stick to. It's like and everyone's different. It's like if the, if for you that is five push-ups a day, so be it. Just do five push-ups a day. Right? As in like it can be whatever it is for you. And then, but then what, again, to, to counteract the other end of it, which is, but then I'm not doing enough. And how do you deal with that? 1% better every day or every week, right? Until you get to a point where, like for me, that's just, just what's worked. That's what's worked like magic is, is doing it that way. And so you build up slowly over time, starting from a place where you know for a fact there is no way you're going to miss it. And then you end up getting to a place where you're doing a fair amount, but you're consistently sticking to it every every day because you've just built that habit over such a long time. You're building confidence, right? Confidence, like your yeah. your your confidence comes from being able to prove to yourself that you can consistently do something, yeah. um, right? So if you are if you are consistently hitting that that level that you've set for yourself, you start to believe that you're keeping your word to yourself, and then that yeah, that exactly. then spirals, and then you can go you can build from there, right? It's that it's that it's that unconfidence in yourself when you keep sort of saying, right, I'm going to do this and then letting yourself down. That's when... And the frustration the, yeah. builds and builds and yeah. builds and gets, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, wow. Um, incredible to hear that we've been uh, through similar parts, even though I've never been a professional athlete before. So uh, that gives me more confidence in myself. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> mate, I'm, I'm conscious of time. I would love to carry on and chat longer about everything that you're doing, everything that you're building, but I'm conscious of time. We, we did have, we're already over by 15 minutes than what we had uh, planned. Uh, but Ben, thank you so much for coming, man. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's been great to hear about the work that you're doing with Squirrel Education. And hopefully we'll grow from one strength to another. And uh, we'll have you back on at some point in the future where you can tell us about all of the incredible kids that you've helped all over the world. Can I call them kids? Is that acceptable? Do you have to say children? Or is there like a... Yeah, like you I can say whatever, kids, right? Okay, students, <laughs> right, children. But yeah, look, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'd love to come back one day and, and let people know how, how we're getting on. But um, no, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming, man. That was Good for Profit with your host, Mo. Thank you very much for listening. Support us. Please like, share, subscribe, and send it to whoever you think will benefit from this episode or will be interested in listening to it. We are, of course, in the early days and we're trying to grow the podcast. And so every share and every like and every comment does go a very long way for us. So thank you very much for listening. And if you have any feedback, please let us know if you'd like certain topics covered or if you have entrepreneurs or investors or ecosystem leaders that you'd like to see on the podcast, feel free to get in touch with us. The link will be in the description below this episode where you can leave feedback and also get in touch with us to let us know if there's somebody you'd like to see on the pod even if you have no direct connection with them just let us know and our team will get on it to try and get them on here thank you very much for listening once again and hope to see you in the next one